My name is L, and this is a transgender woman talking. Today I want to talk about assumptions that cisgender people make about transgender people that are totally wrong. <clears throat> and specifically, I, I want to do this by referencing uh, a number of um actual tangible conversations that I had, that I've had with different um, people in my life. And I'm not going to reveal who they are here. I'm not even hardly revealing who I am here. Um, but I'm going to, you know, kind of just let them be uh, somewhat anonymous. Um, but, you know, it's it's easy to sort of imagine what people think based just on um, the cultural zeitgeist and um, to kind of have those ideas going through our heads just based on, you know, media and whatnot. Um, but uh, at least for me, when I came out as trans, I was um, exposed in a whole new way to a wide array of people's uh, beliefs about... Um, um, transgender people, you know, especially, um, you know, cisgender people's beliefs about, um, you know, transgender people. And like very often those assumptions are not correct. And, and, you know, for me, um, knowing about those and being aware of those judgments was part of what like kept me in the closet, honestly, you know, I was terrified of sort of um, becoming the object of those hostile, um, uncharitable, um, and untrue assumptions about what it's like to be trans and um, why trans people are the way we are and, you know, even just why we choose to transition. So uh, one of the first assumptions that I want to look at is um, sort of the um, the fetish assumption or that, you know, the kind of the underlying belief that this is somehow um, primarily sexual um, or about sexuality. And I mean, just in the English language, um, sex is often conflated with gender. And in fact, the word sex is, you know, talks about or is sort of referring to, you know, biological reproductive sex, you know, a person's or a, an animal's phenotype. That's the, you know, the external body parts and body shapes that they have, their chromosomes, um, their um, uh uh, hormonal mix, um, you know, so that, that speaks of sex. Um, and in fact, you know, there was a time for a lot of my life where we were not identified as transgender, but instead as transsexual. And at least some of what I understand is that part of the reason that the LGBTQ community has moved away from, or and specifically the transgender community has moved away from the word transsexual is because of this mistake, the way that 
um, we're sometimes mistaken as that this is about some kind of sexual thing. And, um, you know, I had one person who was a, a colleague of mine uh, when I first came out um, made the comment. And this is a person who uh, was not affirming, who was skeptical, and who really hasn't been in touch with me <laughs> since I came out. So it's been over a year now. Um, but essentially said to me, um, you know, they had a bunch of questions for me about sort of my sense of self, my sense of self-identification, why I was doing this, why I was choosing the transition at age 39. Um, or I guess I was age 40 by the time I actually came out publicly. Um, and this person made the comment, well, it's good to hear that you're not just being indulgent. And, you know, underneath that, underneath that sort of affirmation was it, it betrayed an assumption around trans people that's just not true. And it kind of connects a little bit with Ray Blanchard's theory of or discredited theory of autogynephilia. Um, if you've never heard of that, uh, I'm sorry that I had to bring it up into your mind. It's uh, been really harmful to me over the years. But essentially, Ray Blanchard, this person, I don't even know if like maybe he was a psychiatrist, maybe he was a therapist or, a you know, I don't know, like a janitor. I'm not really sure. But he had this theory that like that there was a lot of transgender women, uh, especially who transitioned as adults, for whom um, they're their transgenderness was not legitimate and that it was really a misplaced fetish. Um, and, you know, I'm a whole person and I certainly have sexuality and I have um, sexual expression and sexual orientation and sexual desire. I'm married to uh, someone that I'm sexual with. Um, and, my gender as a woman, um, <laughs> it's not like exclusively about that. And, you know, uh, <laughs> like it's interrelated because I'm a whole person just like it is for any of us. But certainly uh, this is not a fetish for me. I'm not... Um, like, I, I don't even know where to start. Like, it's not arousing to be true to who I am. Um, like, <laughs> I, it's, it's astonishing. And this, I guess, again, this sort of touches on some of the conversation that, that we've heard lately from the um, truly awful Tucker Carlson, uh, who you know, it's peddling this idea that trans people uh, are grooming children to become trans themselves. And of course, the word grooming is intentionally used um, as a way of demonizing us because grooming is a word that's used for people who are pedophiles, you know, who are sexually, uh, uh, who sexually assault children, um, which is not... <laughs> trans people again like we this this is about gender for us this is about expression this is about what our bodies look like this is about how 
we feel inside of our ourselves. This is how we want to be seen and understood in the world. Um, this is not about sexual gratification. It's just an incorrect assumption to kind of assume that. And it, it feels scary to me that that has been conflated because, um, you know, like I think that people who prey on children are amongst the most hated in America for good reason. And I think that trans people are are right up there as people who are hated, uh, not for good reason. Um, you know, I had another friend um, who wrote me a note and, and said, everyone has problems. And this is another incorrect assumption about trans people and kind of what he was inculcating by that phrase everyone has problems you need to just suck it up and and deal with it which is what i've been trying to do for 20 years unsuccessfully uh, to the point of wanting to commit suicide at that point in my life but um but but underneath that was this assumption that that being trans is is a is a choice um, that it's something that we choose to be. And, and certainly transition is something that we choose to do. However, you know, um, for a lot of trans people, uh, we see our transition as a survival tactic. For a lot of trans people, we see our transition as a medical treatment, as a therapeutic intervention. Uh, it's a choice insofar as we're choosing to be healthy and honest with ourselves and with the world. You know, also kind of going into that statement, everyone has problems, is sort of the assumption that that being trans is kind of this minor insignificant aspect of a person's identity, and it can be ignored or um, underemphasized or just not paid attention to, which is, I, I suppose that makes sense for cisgender people. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, it is like not, it completely doesn't make any sense whatsoever for actual transgender people because uh, this part of ourselves has been like the elephant in, in the room for our whole lives. And, you know, what's a little bit astonishing to me about it is that, you know, when someone says, well, everyone has problems, you can't do that. It's, it's always the people who are making a massive giant deal of a person's trans identity. The people who say that are the people who like will ditch your friendship of many, many years uh, over <laughs> over you being trans. Those are the people who say that it's no big deal are the ones who fire you for being trans. Like it's always people who seem to really think it's a really big deal. They just don't want the actual trans person to think of it as a big deal. Um, you know, it, it honestly makes me think, um, you know, I've said it actually many times since I came out, like, I understand why my gender is a big deal to me, but I really cannot fathom why it's a big deal to you. Honestly, you know, like, uh, why does my gender matter to you? 
I'm married. I have kids. I'm not in the dating scene. I'm not in the dating pool. Um, you know, I can understand why my gender might matter to my doctor or to my therapist or to some other professional who's in my life. But why does it matter to just Joe Blow on the street? Why does it matter to my friends? It matters to me. And that makes a lot of goddamn sense. But why does it matter to you? Apparently, you want it to be, or some, some cis people want it to be minor for me, but it can be major for you. And I say, to hell with that. <laughs> you know, another assumption that I've run into, um, I have another, this was a family member who, um, and I may have mentioned this in another episode, but I have another family member who quipped, um, I think that he's having a nervous breakdown speaking of me, you know, so misgendering me in the process. Thanks. Delightful asshole. Um, and, you know, I think some of what's, um, I think some of what's underneath this is, is sort of the idea that trans people, uh, choose to transition, uh, flippantly, that, that we do this without thinking, that we do this rapidly, that we do this without, um, you know, consideration uh, of the wider picture or of what might happen. And, you know, honestly, that feels so insulting and, and gaslighting to me. Like, it betrays a certain level of disgust and disdain uh, for me as a human being. Like, who the fuck do you think I am? Like, why do you think it took me? Do you really think the reason that it that I'm coming out at 40 is because I just thought of it now, you asshole? No, it's because I heard your transphobic bigotry over and over and over and over again throughout my life. I'm coming out at 40 because I heard all those transgender jokes that you told and the ways that you laughed at people like me. I'm coming out at 40 because of fucking Ace Ventura. And, you know, Einhorn's a man. I'm coming out at 40 because of Silence of the Lambs. I'm coming out at 40 because of the way that we were talked about and portrayed. I'm coming out at 40 because for my whole life, I wanted to be absolutely anything else but transgender. I'm not having a nervous breakdown. I feel better than I ever have. I feel more myself than I ever have. You just don't happen to know me, the part of myself who says what she wants and who takes what she wants and who draws boundaries and who becomes the person in the world that she was meant to be. You know, this is something that this idea that, that it happens rapidly or that it happens flippantly or that trans people are... Um, you know, that they go through this process and then they later regret it. Um, it's just not true. It's something that was bandied about um, in the church world that I was in. There was a, a huge perception that, like, there was a great rise in the existence of trans people. No, it's that we have so, some tiny modicum of support amongst some segments of American culture somehow are trans elders, and I'm only benefiting from their beauty and wisdom and from what they brought to the world. I'm just barely, barely starting to contribute to it. 
but the tide started to turn a little tiny bit, um, you know, in the 2015s, the 2018s, the 2020s, and it started to make it feel possible for people like us to be ourselves in the world. There isn't a rise in trans people. There's a rise in trans people being honest. The idea of rapid onset gender dysphoria is a term coined by this lady who wrote a horrible, horrible book called um, some kind of, I don't even remember what it's called. It's the one that has a little girl on the front with a hole in it. And it's a transphobic rant. And there's this Christian scholar named, uh, not scholar, there's a Christian teacher called something Sprinkle. And he wrote a book called Embodied, which has a whole chapter, Preston Sprinkle. Oh, it's God awful. Um, he has a whole chapter in there in his newest book about this supposed rapid onset gender dysphoria. The only thing that's been that's rapid onset is a parent's awareness that their kid might be trans. The only thing that's or there might be trans. Uh, the only thing that's rapid is these parents who were unsafe for their kids to be honest to, and so they finally came out and their parents lost their shit and now are trying to get their kids to not be trans. And their kids, these kids are the ones that get kicked out of their homes. They're the ones who are killing themselves at a rate eight times higher than the rest of the population. Rapid onset rapid, flippant transition, people choosing your transition at the drop of a hat. It's all complete horseshit. You know, I read uh, Susan Stryker's amazing history of trans people about a year ago, year and a half ago, and it was remarkable to see uh, she makes an incredibly strong and powerful argument about how gender expansive people have been with us throughout the centuries, throughout cultures, and different places and at different times have made more and less space for us. You're stuck with us. <laughs> you're stuck with us. If you're cis, we're going to be with you forever. Here's another incorrect assumption about trans people. Um, I guess, um, you know, this is kind of like maybe a, a basic or an elementary one. Now I'm kind of bringing down my energy. I've, I've gotten my yell out. Um, but I think that a lot of cis people assume that, um, Gender dysphoria is all or only or even primarily about uh, body dysphoria or genital dysphoria, and that somehow gender lives in the genitals. And, and you know, there is a way in which our culture, um, you know, uses genitalia as shorthand for identifying gender. Um, because of the existence of people who have different disabilities, because of the existence of people who are intersex, because of the existence of a, just a wide array of diversity, we know that uh, genitals does not equal gender. Um, although some people like John Walsh or Matt Walsh, whatever the fuck that asshole's name is, um, 
you know, might dispute that, but like genitals does not equal gender. Um, and so, you know, I've had conversations with folks whose sort of thoughts about transition is that it's all, um, is that it's all about the body, you know, and, um, and, you know, at least in my experience, there's a, there's a part of gender that has to do with body, you know, like, um, part of my personal dysphoria and part of the dysphoria of a lot of trans people I know is that our bodies, uh, do not, uh, sort of fit into the bell curve for what, um, people who generally identify as our gender, you know, have. Um, so certainly there, there is an association um, or a correlation between, say, breasts and being a woman and penis and being a man. There certainly is a correlation there. And so I think part of our sense of identity sort of leads us to wish that we had those things um, but you know, what's, what's interesting is that a lot of trans people are, you know, fairly comfortable with certain aspects of their body, you know, like not all trans people want, um, you know, medical intervention in every part of their, uh, body. And that does not mean that they're not trans. And now I'm kind of getting into murky water. There's this whole conversation around trans medicine, medicalists and, and so on. Um, but, uh, you know, um, I think that uh, sort of that assumption that it's only about the body is a, is a wrong one, because I, there's a lot of other elements of gender. You know, there's like social perception, the way that people address you, the name that you use, none of that has to do with the body. And yet it can be very painful to be misread or misunderstood or, um, you know, just seen a way that, that doesn't fit. Um, there is an aspect of dysphoria that has to do um, with uh, clothing and presentation and style um, and just how we express ourselves in the world. Mannerisms, all this stuff. Again, none of that has to do with body parts per se, but it's how we are in the world. There's a part of gender that has to do with um, typical or expected roles or traits, you know, where, um, and, you know, we could de deconstruct these expectations, of course, um, but, uh, you know, femininity, masculinity tend to go along with uh, gender, and they go along with expectations and, and roles that there are for people who are men um, and women. Um, so, uh, anyway, so there's lots of layers of, of gender dysphoria, um, and not all of it has to do with the body. And, and, you know, it's kind of a, a two pronged, it's kind of a two way street or, a, or a, you know, a double edged sword, because I've, I've had conversations with people where I've sort of given the speech that I just gave about how, um, you know, like how body dysphoria is only one aspect of dysphoria. And then at the same time, talked about how painful and difficult it is to have to go to electrolysis every week. And I've had, you know, sort of people say to me, 
well, why do you do it then? You know, if it's so awful, if it's so terrible, why do you even go? And it's like, you know, the pain of having a motherfucking beard on my face, the pain of having people see a beard shadow, the pain of having my face be all bumpy instead of being smooth, the pain of being stared at, that pain is so much worse than the electrolysis pain. And I can tell you, I can tell you for fucking sure, electrolysis pain on and around your face and on your mouth, it's probably the most painful thing that I've had to go through in my life. It is absolutely excruciating and torturous. So we go through physical pain in order to sort of step into the bodies that we want and need. And we don't need to go through every try and attempt to change our body in order to legitimize ourselves as being trans or as being the gender we say that we are. I could go on and on and on. Um, and I guess, you know, if you're cisgender and you're listening to me, I hope that you don't hear... Um, you know, a whole lot of judgment in my voice toward you. I, I think that these are incorrect assumptions. And I think that a lot of my emotional energy uh, is coming because I'm thinking about specific people and specific conversations that I've had in my life with people that I care about and who I love and with whom it feels painful if they don't understand me. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Um, and so if you're listening as cisgender, a cisgender person, thank you, because you are educating yourself. You know, you're learning about what it's like to be trans and what's true and what's not true. And that makes the world a better, a better place and a safer place for all of us, really. Um, so, uh, that's this week's episode. Um, again, this is L, and I am a transgender woman talking. I'll be back on the microphone in one week uh, to share some more of my thoughts with you about what it's like to be a girl <laughs> in the world, uh, one who everyone used to think was a boy. Um, be well. <laughs>